Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. And for all of you who are worshiping with us today online, we're so grateful that you're here. And all of our campuses that are in person today, we are one church, Sugar Creek Baptist Church, and God is blessing and using us in so many places. For those who are, who are worshiping with us online, there is a large group of that group. There's somewhere every week, it's somewhere between 2,000 to 2,500, and there are many who are members of our church and just haven't come back yet. You may have some underlining health conditions and it's keeping you away for a while, and we fully understand. But there are many of you who have already set the target. You're gonna be back on Easter Sunday, and I gotta tell you, I'm just, there are so many faces. I have not seen in a long time, and you're gonna be back on Easter, and I'm so grateful. Welcome back, I can hardly wait for Easter Sunday. There was a man whose name is uh, Wagner Dodge, and he is a firefighter, but he's not the kind of firefighter that we usually encounter. He is actually called a smoke jumper. I'd never heard of the term before. Some of you, I see you nodding your head, you recognize that, that, ter- that title, but I'd never heard it before. A smoke jumper is a guy, a firefighter that uh, they take into a forest fire and they put right in the middle of that forest fire to build a, well, a, a fire break right there, a whole group of guys, and they go in and they build this fire break so that they can stop the fire so it won't consume the whole forest. I didn't know that group existed, but this Wagner Dodge is one of those guys. And there was a fire that was happening, a forest fire happening in the central part of Montana. And so 14 guys were dropped. They helicoptered, I mean, I'm sorry, they parachuted down and landed right in the spot that they determined to be. But when they got there, they realized immediately, we should not be here. It's worse than we imagined. The wind is is stronger than we were told. We are in trouble. I mean, they knew that within a matter of minutes. We are in trouble. And here is this Wagner Dodge. He looks at his men and he said to them, I don't know how we're gonna get out of this. I've never known that this happens, but when, when, when there is such a great amount of heat that happens in a forest fire, that the heat, the heat surrounds a particular tree, that the sap in the tree actually begins to, to uh, bubble. It begins to overheat. And then all of a sudden it explodes and it sends tree shards everywhere. And it simply expands the fire and is extremely dangerous for people that are in the vicinity. And this is what was happening. There were trees that were exploding all around them. And Dodge turned to his men and he said, all our options are gone. I don't think we're gonna make it. There are times in our life that we feel that way that all the things seem to be stacked against us and it seems as though all the options have been removed. How in the world am I gonna make it? And this is the moment that, that someone decides my only way out is to cheat on my taxes. My, my only way out is to embezzle for my company or to violate some other moral conviction that I have, I've gotta violate in order to survive. Or maybe you just feel so surrounded by by fire in your own life. 
and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know if there's any options left. I don't know if I'm gonna survive. If this is what you are going through or in the future, you are beginning to go through it. This is your passage. Daniel chapter three. We're going through the book of Daniel, at least the first six chapters of the book of Daniel together in a series that simply is standing strong because it is the major theme in these six chapters. And last week we were in chapter two, this morning chapter three, and this morning I wanna talk to you about the whole idea of fireproof. In this story, there are three characters. We've heard them. We've heard of these three guys. I mean, ever since we were little kids in Sunday school, if you, if you grew up in, in a Christian home and in church, you would have heard stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they've already been referenced twice in the book of Daniel, chapter one and chapter two. And so they are major characters. Daniel's not in the story, and he's not in the story only because he's in a different location than these three men. And here these three guys face one of the hardest times you could ever imagine to face in which all the convictions of their life that mean something are now being challenged in this moment and they didn't see it coming. So now what are they gonna do? How are they gonna deal with this? When you're reading the Bible and you're reading through a story and, and the story is God working in the life of another person, what you need to do is sort of put yourself in the story and because what God is doing for these individuals you're reading, God wants to do in you. And what God is saying to these individuals as you're reading God's word, God is actually saying those words to you. What God is doing, how God is moving. He wants to move in your life. And the idea is, is simply this, that we so incorporate God's word in our heart, it's as though God is right in the room and he is talking to us and he is helping us, he is encouraging us, he is, he's cheering us on. And if there is any passage of scripture that we need to hear, this passage like that, it's this one. Because the truth is we are moving as a culture into very difficult territory for Christ followers. So here's what I wanna say, if you don't get anything else, here's the idea I want you to leave with, and it's this, if you trust God when you're facing the fire, he will always stand with you in the heat. You'll never have to go through the heat alone. He will never leave you. He will be right there with you as you're going through this moment and he won't abandon you. Now, as we're going through hard times and struggling times and difficult times, there are three key principles that I want you to grab hold of and they're right here in this passage. And the first one is simply this. It's this principle, choose to do what God says is right. Last Sunday, we were in chapter two and we were looking at the dream that God had given to Nebuchadnezzar. It was a weird, weird dream. And the problem was, is that after Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed the dream, he couldn't remember the dream. And he wanted somebody who would tell him what he dreamt and what the meaning of that dream was. And God gave all of that to Daniel. He gave to Daniel the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. And as soon as Daniel begins to say it out to King Nebuchadnezzar, he said, that's it. Okay, now I remember it. You are exactly right. And it was a giant image, a giant statue. 
And the interpretation of that dream is that it represents five kingdoms. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is the first one of those kingdoms, the head of gold. And it goes all the way to the fifth kingdom. And that kingdom has not yet happened. That is the kingdom that the book of Revelation talks about will be that last kingdom of man that is the, the, the mixture, the feet mixed with iron and baked clay, which are bricks. And that will be that kingdom that the Bible says will be, will be led by a character named the Antichrist. And it's at that point that this rock comes that was not made by human hands. Jesus comes. It is the second coming of Christ. And how do I know? Because the first coming of Christ, he came as the Lamb of God, meek and mild. He came to die on a cross. But when he comes back the second time, the testimony in so many passages in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, the book of Revelation, so many passages in 1 John, it is that Jesus, when he comes, he will come as a conqueror. He will come on the back of a white horse as a conqueror kind of thing. And that is the depiction of the dream. And we walked through all of that together last week. Well, now we are in chapter three, and wouldn't you know, Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue. I would imagine it's just like the statue he had in his dream. And in chapter three, he builds this statue huge. It's 90 feet tall. It's, it's nine stories for crying out loud, but it's all gold. And you know why it's all gold? Because he is the head of gold and he makes this statue, this image as a statue of honor to himself. I told you this guy is so full of himself. I told you that if you will think of the person who is so arrogant this guy out arrogance anybody. And he builds this huge statue, 90 feet tall, I guess of himself. It probably, I mean, it, it's more than likely. It, it looked like him, only 90 feet tall. And he had now this statue go all over the kingdom of Babylon. I don't know how in the world they transported it. All over the kingdom of Babylon. And every person, he made this edict, every person that sees this statue is to bow down and worship the statue as though it is God. It represents Nebuchadnezzar as though it, Nebuchadnezzar is God. And he even has a traveling band to go with it. So that when the band begins to play up, everybody that hears the voice of the band or the sound of the band, they bow in honor of the statue. And he had a fantastic incentive plan. Verse six of Daniel chapter three, whoever does not bow down and worship this image will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So guess what happened? When the, it was traveling from city to city and when it showed up in the band plate, guess what everybody did? They bowed down. And they may have been saying to themselves, we already know this is not a God. We already know Nebuchadnezzar is not a God. But good grief, I wanna live past today. And so what's the big deal? I'll just bow down, I just wanna live my life. And everybody bowed down except three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So why didn't they bow down? It's because of the Bible. It's because of the word of God. These guys were trained as they were little boys growing up that there's only one true God. And that is Yahweh, Jehovah. That is the God of the universe. And there's only one true God. 
There are no other gods and you are to bring no other gods before me. You are to bow down to no other gods but me, the Bible says. And they believe that the Bible was the word of God. And what the Bible said is true. And when the Bible says this is right, it's right. And when the Bible says this is wrong, it's wrong. And they knew when they saw this, we can't bow down. You know, I could understand, couldn't you, that they would sort of rationalize this a little bit. Well, you know, God already knows we don't really believe that this is a God. God already knows we only honor and worship him. But after all, I don't want to rile anybody and I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to die in a furnace we could have understood that they could have rationalized, but they didn't. And they chose to stand when everyone else kneeled. The day is coming. The day is coming for all of us. And I got to tell you, it's upon us now in which we've got to work through in our heart what is this Bible? Because if it is the word of God, which it is, then what it says is true and I need to live by it. And even if it means that I die or I go to prison or I am an outcast, I gotta make a decision about this word of God because this culture is always pressuring us to bow down to the false gods of it, to to bow down to money and to prominence and sexual compromise and peer pressure. And there is pressure that all of us feel from this culture and it's only going to keep ramping. And we gotta decide who's my God. And that's the first thing that has to happen in our lives. Choose to do what God says is right. God, I choose you. You are my God. There's a second principle, and that is then expect your commitment to obey God to always be tested. Because it always will be. Look what happens in the story. Daniel chapter 3 verse 8. For this reason... All that time, certain Chaldeans came forth and brought charges against the Jews. Now, stop for a moment. When you see the word Chaldeans, it just means Babylonians. It's just another name for Babylonians. You can write the word Babylonians there. And he is saying that certain Babylonians came to the king and said, um, O king, verse 9, O king, live forever. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, have disregarded you. They're they're doing this against you. And they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Understand this. There is power in negative peer pressure. And from the time we were little growing up in school and in our adult life at our jobs or in the classroom or in our communities, there's a peer pressure and all of us feel it. And there's power. This is a real thing. There was a group of researchers from Leeds, L-E-E-D-S, Leeds University in England. Pastor Juan Carlos, our Spanish pastor, showed me 
this research, I thought it was pretty interesting. In 2008, there was research done about the effect of leadership. And here's what they discovered, that most people in the world, in uh, countries, follow blindly. They'll, you can lead them blindly. And that all it takes is 5% of the population who have a particular direction they wanna go and they are the loudest. And if they've got enough behind them, if they've got media behind them, if they've got politics behind them, if they've got education behind them, 5% of the population can turn the entire culture in another direction. And you know why? Because most people sit on the sidelines, twirl their thumbs, look, I don't really care about all this. I just want to live my life. I just want to go to work. I don't want to go to school. I just want to do my life. And they follow blindly. But in America, it's 3%. Not because a special study was done with America, but it's what I'm seeing. 3% of the population that now have the media and have the politics and have the education behind them are now turning every single part of this culture in a different direction. The problem is, is that there is going to be, and already is, but even more so, a direct collection, a direct collision between that group of people and Christians. And it's coming. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, by the word world, what Jesus is meaning, what in the New Testament the word is used for, the word world means actually worldview. It means, it means the, the values of this world's system. And he is saying the values of this world's system, if they hate you, it's because they already hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. But they will treat you this way because of my name. Now in the New Testament, the idea of the word name is who the person is. That's why they would change their name sometimes. It denoted the character of the individual. And for parents, it was a, a, a desire that that child would be this. So when Jesus is talking about his name, he's talking about his character, what he stands for, who he is. They will treat you this way because of me, because of my name and what I stand for. For they do not know the one, meaning his father, who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now I have come and they have no excuse for their sin. Here is the idea I want us to grab a hold of. In America, there was a day that the church was loved. 
and celebrated. It was, it, everybody went. It was, it was a sense of this whole positive thing about the church of Jesus Christ in the country. But things began to turn. I mentioned this last week. Things began to turn in, in the latter part of the 60s, early part of the 70s. And it is emerging today in which the church is the, is the object of scorn by many in power and the church is in the way of where we want to go in the culture and we will be hated and you're going to have to grab hold of this we will be hated and Jesus says you're going to be hated because I'm hated but it doesn't mean that the world is going in the right direction. Proverbs chapter 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. It goes over a cliff. And that's where it's headed. And so parents, listen to me. Listen to me, you must teach your children as they are growing up in your home. You must teach your children how to stand for right even if they stand alone. They're not gonna learn that as much as adults as they will in your home as children as you are bringing them up and nurturing them. You've gotta teach them. One of your goals has gotta be, I gotta teach my children how to stand for right, even if my child has to stand alone. Kathy and I had all these goals and we kept adding goals, but we didn't want to just go through life. We didn't want to just raise children and get, live out today, go to bed, get up tomorrow and, and whatever comes, comes. No, we wanted, we had goals for our children, just like you have goals for your children. And we set those goals. And one of the goals was we wanted to teach our sons how to stand for right, what right was and how to stand for right even if they have to stand alone. We talk with them about the Bible and the value and the importance of God's word and that it is God's word and what it says is right is right and what it says is wrong is wrong and, and that they are to judge their life and their behavior by that word of God. And there were many times in which Kathy and I faced moments in our lives in which we, we had to do the right thing and we had to stand alone. And there were times in which these kinds of things happened and we would sit down and talk to our kids. Let me tell you what I have just experienced. And here's why I'm telling you. It is important for you when you grow up that you be strong and that you know what is right and wrong and you do the right thing and stand for the right thing even if nobody else stands with you. They had to see it in us. And then we sort of created a few moments in which they would have to stand alone. We wanted to test it. We wanted to see and then coach. And I got to tell you, we have two sons today who love God and who stand for right. Even if they have to stand alone. I'm sorry. So that has to be what we teach our children. And we have to do it purposely. Here are three men. And they could have rationalized anything, but they didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made the decision 
that they would follow God and they would do what is right in God's eyes, no matter what it cost them. Well, the word got out to King Nebuchadnezzar and he didn't like it. He got furious. He was so mad. He brought these three guys in front of him and he, he berated them and belittled them and he tried to intimidate them and you will do what I tell you to do. But he saw three young guys who just stood their ground. And here's what they said in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. What what do they mean? We're not careful in answering you. What they're really saying is we are not going to be politically correct about our answer. We're not going to do it. I know what you want to hear. I know you want me to tell you what you want to hear. But the answer is no. I'm going to tell you, you look at the courage. You look, this is the greatest, most powerful man in the world. And they stood with such boldness in verse 17. And if we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Wow. And here's what they're saying. Let me tell you, you are a powerful king, but there is a God in the universe. And he controls everything. And let me tell you, he's stronger than you are. And if he wants to save us, he'll save us. And there won't be one thing you can do about it. Good grief. And then verse 18. And I'm going to tell you, I think this is the greatest of all the statements. In verse 18, he says, but even if he does not, even if he does not rescue us from this furnace, is what they're saying. Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I'm going to tell you of all the stories in the Bible about faith and demonstrations of faith, this is one of the greatest ones, and it's this last verse. There are plenty of people that'll say, oh God, you rescue me, and boy, will I be on your side. But these guys are saying, you know what? My God is able to rescue me from this furnace, but my God might not choose to. And if he doesn't choose to, okay. We're just going to go to heaven anyway. So go ahead. If he chooses not to, we still will not bow down to you as though you were some God. Wow. I'm telling you, this is so strong. Your commitment will be tested. And here's the third principle. Trust that whatever God leads you, he, wherever God leads you, he will stand with you. Nebuchadnezzar was furious, as you can imagine. The guy's so full of himself. How dare you stand up against me? And so he says, make the, the furnace seven times hotter than it has ever been. Now you get, see, it would have been enough to do the job with just a regular No, we are high octane. We're going to make this thing the highest it's ever been. I'm amazed that the metal didn't melt. Made as hot as he could make it. And the three guys, three soldiers, they they tied these three men. Why did they tie them? I don't even understand that. They tied them and then they stood at the, the, the door of the furnace and they threw the three in. And the three guys that threw the others in. They all died because the heat coming out of the door was so intense. 
Those three guys died and they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. Too bad for these three guys. Daniel 3 verse 23 says, and these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. And a few seconds later, I guess Nebuchadnezzar was thinking, well, let me just see their, their charred corpse just sort of disappear and evaporate. And he was looking inside the window of the furnace. And in verse 24, he said, wait a minute. Did, am I right about this? Did we throw three men in? And they said, well, yeah, yeah we threw, you threw three men in. He said, but I see four men loose, walking in the furnace, and wait, the fourth man looks like the Son of God. Amen to God. So what's happened? You understand that Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem as a baby. Jesus was already in heaven. In fact, Philippians chapter two says that he left, he was on the throne and he left all of his glory and he went down and took on the form of human flesh as a baby and came into the world to become our savior. Jesus has always been. Jesus has no beginning. So here it is, what, four it would be 600 years between 550 to 600 years before Jesus would be born. And there is Jesus and he is watching these three men. He sees their bravery, their courage. He sees them being thrown into the furnace. And he stands and he says, you know what? I'm gonna join them. And he zoomed right down into that fiery furnace. And he came up to the guys, maybe, and I'm just imagining this part, and you know, tapped them on the shoulder, and they said, wait, wait, what? are we dead? I mean, are we dead or alive? We're walking around, we don't even feel any heat. What, what's going on? And Jesus taps them on the shoulder and says, hey guys, by the way, well done, good and faithful servants. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of your courage. And I'm telling you this, God sees, Jesus sees us. And when we are committed to him and when we take the hit because of him and we stand for him, he sees us. He sees you. And then Jesus said, by the way, your time is not over. And I guess he disappeared. The only thing that was burned were the ropes that tied them. There was not a smell of smoke. There was not a singed hair on their head. And they walked right back out of that furnace. And I would have loved to have seen Nebuchadnezzar's face, wouldn't you? They come right back out. So what does he do? I'm gonna tell you, this guy could have been a great politician because he, when he sees them come out of the furnace, he says, well, if I can't beat them, I'm gonna join them. And so what then does happen? Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command, which by the way was me. And they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. See, God will even make your enemies recognize your courage. 
and your strength. I'm gonna tell you something. They will respect you because you held true to God, even your enemies. And what about Wagner Dodge? The guy at the beginning of this whole message, what about this guy? Well, I'll tell you what happened. They were on the verge of dying. They were, the, the firestorm was coming and they could see it moving in their direction. And there was one patch, large patch of grass that because of all the heat of the fire and everything is so dried out, he remembered he had a match in his pocket and he lit the match and he threw it into the grass. And, and his, the, the guys that were in, what have you done? And he threw it into the grass and the grass just rose up in fire and it just, just swept through that grass. And just before the firestorm actually hit them, they then ran into this whole field of grass that had already been burned smoking still but burned they soaked a cloth they put it over their head and over their face they got down in a fetal position and they waited and the firestorm came and it came right up to the edge of that grass and all the way around the grass and jumped over the grass and kept right on going but every one of these men that were in that field lived And the Bible says to you and I in Psalm 34, verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. And he is talking to you. He's talking to me. God will rescue you. If you will go with God in the fire, he will be with you in the heat. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll see you to the other side. Now there are some of you who've never given your heart to Christ, but this is the moment I'm urging you. Those of you who are worshiping with us online, those of you on whatever campus you are on, this is the moment in which God wants to save you. He wants to come into relationship with you. And this morning, would you give your heart to Christ? Would you accept Jesus as your savior? For those of you who are online, there are online hosts that will help you today. Make that decision to accept Christ. Just let them know with a raised hand that you want to do that. There is a next step center on all of our campuses physically and just when this service is over in a couple of minutes go to the next step center it is right to the side of the two-story playscape and you'll see the sign and our pastors will be there we'll be with you we'll help you I want to know Christ I want to join this church I want to be baptized I I want to be a part of a small group I want to get involved in ministry whatever your next step is go to the next step center And open your heart to say yes to God today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we say, oh God, we need you. And there's so many that are listening that, oh God, this is the day of their salvation. If they'll just say yes to you, they'll turn from their sin. They'll turn their heart by faith to Christ. You'll come into their heart and save them and change them. And I pray you, Father, you would do that today and move in their heart. And I pray, for Father, for all of us who know Jesus as Savior and we face such challenges in our life that we'll face them with strength and resolve, trusting you. For you will be there and you will deliver. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.